Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. Some of you will remember uh, last year uh, I came in and I told the story about how I was uh, walking from my daughter's bedroom down to my bedroom. We got a long hallway at home and I was just finishing off a fast, pretty spiritual Actually, I was about to break my fast early because I was so hungry. And I was walking down and I said, God, do you know what I'd love? I would love it if you would just give me a Bible verse, like one idea, one sentence, one Bible verse that just sums up what Activate is here for, like where we fit into the body of Christ, what our role is to play within even the kingdom of God. Like what is our purpose? What's our mandate? What's our mission? What's our calling? And I, I, I use the word calling. Why are we here? And I felt like God said Ephesians 4.12. And so I pulled out my phone and I opened up my Bible app and I just said, why are we here? What's our calling? And Ephesians 4.12, it's up on the wall, but I put it on the screen as well. If you can just click on the uh, slideshow for me, T-Ball, that'd be great. Because Ephesians 4.12 says their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. And as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. And I felt like God said, this is what I want you guys to focus on. It is to equip the believers to do their own works of ministry. Before I started pastoring here, I knew I was going to pastor. I hadn't yet taken over. And I was walking down the road outside my house. And I can tell you exactly which letterbox I was standing in front of. And there's not a lot of them out in my neck of the woods. You've got to walk a long way to get to a letterbox. But I was standing outside a particular letterbox and God said to me, Hey, Josh, just so you know, when you take over Activate, it is not your job to build the church. He said, That's my job. Hands off. Don't get involved in my stuff. <laughs> Jesus said to Peter, On this rock, I will build my church. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, It's labor is labor in vain. God said, it is not your job to build the church. Just butt out. He said, but it is your job to build the people. Right? He said, it is your job to encourage them, to equip them, to train them, to empower them, to champion them, and to release them into their own works of ministry, their own calling, their own mission, why God has created them. He said, that's your job. Your job is to disciple people. And uh, as we moved through 2020, I became more and more convinced that this verse on the wall is not just a verse for last year that we peel off and then put something else on. This is actually our verse, church. This is the season that we are in now. As long as I am here, this is what we're doing. We are creating disciples. And this is not radical stuff. This is not a new instruction. In fact, it is literally the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples before he was taken up to heaven. He turns to them and he says, Hey, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. The way you disciple a nation is you just disciple so many people within that nation that eventually that's yours. I mean, you can't, you guys understand, a a nation is not alive. You can't say, I feel called to disciple Chad. Chad's not a person, he's a country. Although I did know a guy called Chad once, sidebar. 
the way you disciple a nation is you just disciple people, 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 and eventually the weight of discipleship tips that nation over into a discipled nation. We are called to disciple people. That is why we are here. Um, I looked up disciple in, on Wikipedia, and you can't read that, I know, it's tiny, but I'm going to put it up on a bigger screen, but I wanted to prove to you that this is literally what it says. It says, in Christianity, disciple primarily refers to a dedicated follower of Jesus. Skip a sentence, it says, a disciple in the ancient biblical world actively imitated both the life and teaching of the master. It was a deliberate apprenticeship which made the fully formed disciple a living copy of the master. In biblical terms, when Jesus talks about making disciples of people and building disciples, this is what he means. A disciple of Jesus is someone who actively imitates both the life and teaching of Jesus until they literally become a living copy of Jesus Christ. That's what we're aiming for here. What do you think a hundred living copies of Jesus Christ could do to this country? What did one Jesus Christ do? Turn the entire world upside down in three and a half years. What if we were actually tuning out living copies of Jesus Christ? What if Alea was a living copy of Jesus Christ? What if Abel were a living copy of Jesus Christ? What if a living copy of Jesus Christ walked into your workplace, walked into your school, walked into the supermarket? Is there anything that we couldn't do if we had living copies of Jesus Christ walking around the place? What would that do to our country? What would it do to our, our culture? You know, we are called to make disciples uh, of Jesus Christ. And I, I think that over the years, and I won't labor this point too much, but I wonder if over the years, if the church in the Western world has got a little bit sidetracked by other things, I think that we spend far too much time and energy and focus trying to convince non-Christians to come in here when what we should be doing is trying to convince Christians to go out there. If you open up your Bible and you read through it, I challenge you to find just one, just one example of Jesus sitting down beside someone and saying, hey, you should really come to temple with me on Saturday. We've got Rabbi Josh preaching. He's great. He's really good looking. Jesus would say that. He made me. You know, you should, you should come. I'll, I'll even pick you up. I'll take you. I'll take you to temple. And then come and you can hear all about me. Like there's no record of Jesus ever doing that because everywhere Jesus went, he took, he took the Spirit of God. He took the church with him. He took it out. He was the example of go. In fact, he would go into places so many places that the, the Christians of the day thought he was making huge mistakes. He would go and he'd eat with the prostitutes and he'd eat with the tax collectors and he'd eat with the lepers. He would literally hang out with all the people that were banned from going to church. And we're supposed to be living copies of that guy. So the question is, how do we do this? How do we make disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, the good news is that Jesus is a smart guy. And so he gives us the instructions in the same passage. He says, you go and you make disciples 
of all nations. And then there's two things that you have to do. This is how you make a disciple. Number one, you baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You baptize them. We're going to do that in two or three Sundays' time. And the second thing you do is you teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. So you baptize and you teach them to obey. How do you measure whether someone is growing in their relationship with God? How do you measure spiritual maturity? I'll tell you how you don't measure it. It's not based on how long you've been a Christian. I know a lot of Christians that I think have moved further away from God than they were when they started. How many people know Christians? You're like, I liked you better when you weren't a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> right? You can't measure spiritual maturity by how often someone goes to church or how long they've been going to church. That doesn't mean anything. You can't compare yourself to other people and try and work out where you're at. Paul says that if you compare yourself to other people, you're not wise. I tell you how you measure whether you are moving with God, growing with God, becoming more like Jesus. It's all based on obedience. Obedience is everything. I don't care how well you know your Bible or how often you read it. If you don't do what's in it, you're crazy. Those aren't my words. That's James's words. He says you're actually deluded if you read the word and you don't do what the word says. Let's see if you can pick up what Jesus is throwing down here. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. Obedience. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, obedience, is the one who loves me. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. You are my friends if you do what I command. This is Jesus talking. Look at what John says here. He says, if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. It is all about obedience. And so I want you to just hold uh, two ideas up as we move into what I believe God has told us to do for a church or as a church this year. The first thing I want you to hold up is that discipleship is why we are here. Like we, we have a generation of Christians that are too scared to tell their friends about Jesus. We have a generation of Christians that would never dream of praying for someone. We have a generation of Christians who think that the high watermark expression of their faith is to invite someone to a Sunday morning experience. And a lot of the blame lays at the feet of the church leaders because that's what we tell everyone to do every Sunday. Invite your friends, invite your friends, invite your friends. Get as many non-Christians from out there in here as you can. And what we should be saying is, get out, get out, get out. Go and do what Jesus has called only you to do. Um, I was speaking with a pastor up in the North Island, and this is anecdotal. Like, this is just a story, but it happened, it's true. And he was talking about how he had a young guy in his church that had grown up in the church, grown up through Sunday school, grown up through youth group, grown up through young adults ministry. He's now in his mid-twenties. He's working on a building site. And he comes to his pastor and he says, hey, Pastor Ross, uh, there's a guy on my building site and I need you to come and talk to him about God because I think he's, he is open to Christian. He's open to Jesus. You need to come talk to him. And the pastor, to his credit, said, No. You are on the job site, you're friends with the guy, you're in relationship with him, you talk to him about Jesus, and this young guy who spent his entire childhood, teen years, young adult years in church said, I don't feel comfortable doing that, I'll stuff it up 
I don't have the, if you would just come and do it, that would, you'll do a much better job than I would. Now, I think everybody here recognises there is something wrong with that picture. But what we do is we just say, okay, just invite him to church and then I'll do it. So discipleship is what we are going after here in this place. That doesn't mean that you don't want to invite your friends to church. That's awesome. Like, do it. But let's not make inviting people to church like that's, that's it. That's what we do. We invite people to church, and then Josh will preach, or whoever's preaching. Someone will do an altar call. That's great. Someone will do ministry. It's, it's your job. I don't know your friends. We've got people here that live in Harewood, people that live in Hallsville, people that live in Waimari Beach, people that live in Opawa, people that live in Rangura, people that live in Rolleston. That's where you are. That's, those are your communities. You guys are doing well. Hold discipleship in one hand, and then on the other hand, I want you to hold obedience. This is how we measure where we're going. Now I want to unpack for you uh, what God said to me for 2021. Are you ready for it? Everyone shake it off. You're doing well. You look a little bit like stunned mullet. You're like, whoa, where has this come from? All right, Blueprint 2021. So I was standing over here, right in front of that pillar, late October, early November. One of the ways that I kind of... I've got lots of different ways that I confirm whether what God has said to me is actually God. But one of the ways that is always a bit of a tick for me is I vividly recall where I was physically, geographically, when the conversation happened. And so I was right over there in front of that pillar, and God gave me a Bible verse. He didn't give me the reference. I had to Google the reference to work out what it was. And I didn't get the whole Bible verse right. I got the gist of it. But, but God gave me this Bible verse. And the Bible verse was Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will heal their land. And I was like, man, that's a pretty full-on verse. And so I'm talking with God about it. And over the next four to six weeks or so, I just had a lot of conversations with God about this Bible verse. He would just keep bringing it back into my mind pop it into my spirit while I was driving, and he started to unpack for me what this Bible verse was saying. He said, Josh, do you notice there are four things that I require from my people? The first is I need them to humble themselves. The second is I need them to pray. The third thing is I need them to seek my face, and the fourth thing is I need them to turn from their wicked ways. He said, let's have a conversation about these four things. Remember, we're holding discipleship and we're holding obedience he said these four things, I mean, the first two are pretty obvious, right? Like the four things that this Bible verse is talking about is number one, humility. Number two, prayer. I got those two by myself. The third thing I needed a bit of help with. And, and God said to me, hey, I want you to seek my face, not my hands, not my body, not what I can do for you. Don't come to church because I can bless you. Don't come to church for what you get out of it. I mean, you should get stuff out of it, obviously, but if that's your primary reason for coming to church because of what you get out of it, that's not okay. He said, I want you to seek my face, who I am, my person. I want you to go after intimacy. And then the fourth thing, that was a hard one for me. It took me a week or two to just talk with God around that because it sounds pretty intense, like turn from your wicked ways. I'm like, I don't think I have like wicked ways. I have the odd dodgy thing, but I don't have, I wouldn't say that I have like wicked ways, right? And he said, no, no. He said, a wicked way is anything you do where you say, I don't want you involved in this, God. Anything you do where you say, oh, this is 
this is mine, you can't have it. I'm going to go in this direction, I'm going to pursue this thing, I'm going to do this, I've developed this habit, I've got this way of thinking, and, and it's separate from God. He said, that's, that's the definition of wickedness, is like without God. If God's in it, it's holy. If God's not in it at all, it's unholy, it's wicked. And he said, I want you to turn away from your own way of doing things, from your own pride. What's he talking about? He's talking about obedience. And so these four things... He said, I want you to go after these four things. I want you to go after humility, prayer, intimacy, and obedience. Because he said this. He said, Josh, obedience is the goal. Like, obedience is what we're going after. We're trying to create disciples of Jesus Christ, that people that do what Jesus did. He said, but you can't stand up in church and just tell people they've got to do it. Because people don't work like that. He said, you don't work like that. I said, oh, that's true. I'm the worst person. For someone saying, you have to do this. I just won't do it. And I think we've all got that that stubborn streak in us. He said, obedience comes from a place of intimacy. The more intimate you are with me, the easier obedience becomes. He said, don't go after obedience, go after intimacy. And the more intimate you are with me, he said, the, the easier obedience becomes. So we have a problem in the church with people just not talking to their friends, their family. Like we don't, we don't talk to people about Jesus as a rule, by and large. Have a look at your, just do a quick mental stock take of your last week or two. Try and count out how many conversations you had with different people about Jesus. This incredibly amazing God that saved your life, that you're head over heels in love with, passionate about. How many conversations you know, would pop up into your mind. And I get a little bit frustrated sometimes. You know, I hear people talking about, and I've been to different classes around different programs and steps and, uh, you know, systems to evangelize. And, uh, you know, you draw the three circles and you'll hear God's here in this. And, you know, have you ever told a lie? Yes. Well, then what does it make you? A liar? Where do liars go? Ah! You know, all these, this kind of stuff. And I'm like, no, people, we are hardwired to talk about what we are excited about. I had a pastor say to me once, Josh, how do I communicate? How do I get my church excited about talking about Jesus? And I said, don't even worry about getting your church talking about Jesus. Just get them excited about Jesus. And the talking about it will take care of itself. Because we all love to talk about what we're excited about. You don't win lotto. And they get ushered into a room and given a 15-minute presentation on how to tell your friends you've won lotto. It comes natural, <laughs> right? A couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I uh, went out for lunch with Andre, the pastor at Cornerstone, and we just met in Northwood because it was like the halfway point between our, our two houses, and there's a restaurant in Northwood called Sticks and Stone, and we sat down to eat, and the waitress came over, and I said, what's good here? And she said, oh, my favorite is the chicken burger. And I said, well, I don't normally have chicken burgers, because if you're going to have a burger, be a man, eat meat, right? But I said, you know what? It sounds good, looks good, I'll have the chicken burger. Chicken burger came out, I'm not exaggerating, it changed my life. <laughs> it's, it's like, Jesus, chicken burger, and then, you know, everything else has happened in my world. Don't tell Liz. Um, and, and I was eating it, and I was like, this is what heaven is like. <laughs> This is like the most, and I don't know whether it was because 
I was just out for lunch with a friend that I, whose company I really enjoy. It was a beautiful sunny day outside. I'd fasted on Monday, so this was my proper meal for like 48 hours. All of the things combined for me to... I'm starting to question now because it's developed almost like a, like a cult status in my mind. It doesn't seem right. I'm like, nothing could have been that good, but it was. And so I started... I, I went on like three more lunch dates over the next two weeks, and I was just like, oh, let's just meet at Sticks and Stone. And we'll just, right? And I went with the intention of trying other things on the menu, but every time I got there, I was like, well, I can't not have it. So I had it like four times... And then I took Liz there, and I made her get it. And I started talking with Jared about it. And I was like, dude, I had the best burger of my life ever. You've got to have it. And he's like, hey, you've got to have it. Last night, we're in Rangiora. It's tea time. And we're going to get something to eat. And I was like, dude, now's the time. Let's go. He's like, dude, it's like a 20-minute drive. Well, it doesn't matter. This is worth it. Okay, so we hop in the car. And there's like so many restaurants within two minutes drive of where we were. We drive 20 minutes into town. We get to the restaurant. They give us the menu. I'm like, don't give me the menu. I already know what I'm getting. Right? And Jared's being a pain in the neck. And he's like, oh, I think I kind of feel like a salad. I'm like, no, you are getting the burger. I don't care. And we're with my brother-in-law as well. And I said, if you don't order the burger, you are not my brother-in-law anymore. Right? Like, we are all getting the burger. Three of us, three burgers. I don't want to hear anything about it. The waitress comes over. She says, do you know what? I said, yep, we're all getting the chicken burger. And they say, I'm so sorry we're out of chicken tonight. There's none left. I, like, a part of my soul died. I was like, I, I almost cried. Like, Jared's like, are you all right? I'm like, I just, I just. He said, you made us drive 20 minutes for this? My point is. I dragged two grown men across town for a chicken burger. And I am, I'm ashamed to say I didn't drag anyone anywhere for Jesus. We talk about what we're excited about. You know? Don't focus on the output. Focus on the input. The output will take care of itself if you're getting the input right. Right? Don't focus on losing weight. Focus on eating healthy and watch what happens. Don't focus on, I've got to do all the stuff that Jesus did. Focus on relationship with him. Get close to him. Get intimate with him. Fall in love with him. And then watch what happens. Because you are hardwired to talk about what you're passionate about. If you're not talking about Jesus, maybe you're not as passionate about him as you think you are. He said, but before you can build intimacy, he said, that, that requires something too. I said, well, how do I build intimacy? He said, you build intimacy through consistent conversation, prayer. You know, prayer is not just get down on your knees, put your hands together and give God a shopping list of all the stuff that you need. Prayer is just talking with God and it's hearing God talk to you back. It's a two-way conversation. I have a fairly active prayer life in that I'm talking with God all the time about everything all the time. The other day I had an argument with uh, my wife. It was semi my fault. <laughs> we went to a wedding on, on Friday. 
And it was like, it was the first wedding that I'd done. I was doing the wedding uh, for a couple here in church. It was Ben and Courtney's wedding. And I was quite nervous about it. And then I had another wedding on the Saturday. And then I had church on Sunday. And so in my mind, I'd just gone, do the wedding on Friday, do the wedding on Saturday, do church on Sunday. Then I can clock off and kind of relax. So I, I went to the wedding with a bit of a work mindset. And we had the dinner and stuff afterwards. Uh, Liz went with the, I'm going to go to this wedding with my husband, it's going to be super romantic, we're going to dress up, he'll finally, finally, finally wear a shirt, and um, we'll get some photos taken, and then we'll kiss as the sun's setting, and like all this, you know, she watches far too many rom-coms, um, and so we did the wedding, and we came home, and she was like on a downer, and she, I'm like, what's, what's wrong? She's like, I just... I just, you know, I dressed up, and I looked at me, and he didn't say anything nice to me about how I looked, and, boo, you know, and, and I just wanted, like, a moment, I was really looking forward to it, and, and so I did a really mature thing, and I was like, oh, you know, and, and I said, I was like, look, you know, the end result was, I was like, look, you know, you know that I'm bad at this, like, I'm bad, this is like a consistent thing in our marriage, Josh, you're not very verbally affirming, it happens sometimes, it's stupid, and... I was like, you know, you know well, we've argued about this a lot. Like, you know that I'm not, not good at this. And I'd read something during the week with this Christian couple that were giving advice on marriage. And, and basically he'd said to his wife, look, I'm not good at this. You're going to have to just deal with it. And so I was like, I'm inspired by that. And so I said, well, I'm, not, I'm not good at it. Like, why can't you just see all the other areas that I love you in and just, just be okay with the fact that I'm not good at this? And I thought that was a pretty powerful statement. And so... You know, we kind of, you know, went to sleep and kind of were not talking to each other. And, and then I got up and I came into church on a Saturday and I was praying and stuff. And, and um, God's really annoying. He always asks me questions that I know he knows the answer to. He's like, so, um, how are you and Liz going? I'm like, ah, oh, God, you know, like, you know how we're going. It's like, we had an argument. And uh, he goes, yeah, what was that about? I was like, you, you know what it's about, God. It was about, you know... Um, Liz wasn't happy or something about me not like, you know, <laughs> saying nice things about her. And he said, yeah. He said, did you, what did you say to that? I said, well, I said that she should just um, be okay with me not being good in that area and, and just be okay with it. And he went, oh. And I said, what? And he said, so, so your wife came to you and said, hey, I, I need you to do better here. And your response was, just lower your expectations. And I'm like, ah. I know that that's not me, because I would not have said that to myself, right? That's prayer. That's, That's what changes relationship and changes your life. It's these conversations with God. It's consistent conversations with God. That's what builds intimacy. Intimacy is the place from which obedience flows. But he said to me over there in that corner, And this is the thing that kind of stuck with me right at the start, which made me think there's something in this. He said to me, humility is what leads to prayer. He said, you can measure how humble you are by how much you pray. He said, a humble man prays. You look at Moses, we're reading through him at the moment. Anytime anything goes wrong, what does he do? He is straight to God, straight to God. There's no record of Moses going to anybody else doesn't say, and Moses went to his brother Aaron and said, man, what do you think we should do here? And had a conversation about, you know, Moses went to his friend, you know, Elias, and talked with him. Every time, Moses, straight to God, straight to God, straight to God. And it says in the Bible uh, that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. I, I wonder if you were to try and measure your own humility based on your prayer life, where you would measure up. I was not stoked with my self-evaluation. 
in that area. And so God said, these are the four things that I want to highlight to you. Humility, prayer, I'm almost done, uh, intimacy and obedience. And so my intention initially was to do a four-week series on, on this, to do, do February, you know, do one, one week of one, one week of the other, you get the gist. And I was walking down the road outside my house, and God started talking to me about this year, and he started talking to me about digging wells, right? And that's not language that I use, so I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And you guys understand, like a well in the Bible times, they dig this well, and that would become a source of life and a source of prosperity and a source of hope, and people would gather around the wells, and towns would come around the wells, and those wells would last centuries sometimes. But they took a lot of time to dig. But once they were dug, you could draw from that well, anyone could draw from that well for years and years and years. I googled wells in Bible times and that came up. I don't think it's a legit photo because it was a long time ago, but someone's <laughs> worked it out. <laughs> anyway, so I'm walking down. took you guys a while, just making sure you're still awake. Uh, that photo is from 4000 BC. Um, so I'm walking down the road and God says, I want you to build four wells. He said, I want you to dig a well of humility. I want you to dig a well of prayer. I want you to dig a well of intimacy, and then I want you to dig a well of obedience, and I want you to do one a tomb for 2021. That's what I believe he said. So we're going to start with a well of humility. We're going to go through that. We get a, we get a month off humility. We must be a little bit more humble then. Um, you guys must be better than me. So we're going to go through that to the end of March, and then the second term, we're going to go prayer. And in prayer, we're going to look at how to hear the voice of God, how to recognize the voice of God, how to have conversations with God. We'll do some training and all that kind of stuff. When we move on to intimacy, that's we're going to do our church fast in that term. We're going to push into God, and we'll look at different things around, you know, consumer mindset and putting God first and all that kind of stuff. And then obedience, well, that could be fun. Not quite sure what that's going to look like, but it'll look like something. That's for sure. And so as I was walking back to my house, I'm going, okay, God, we're going to dig four wells. We're going to go after humility, prayer, intimacy, and obedience. This thought pops into my head. How long does it take to dig a well in Bible times? Like, how long would it take them to dig a well? And I thought, well, that's a stupid question because it would entirely depend how many people you had digging, right, Jean? What the tools were that they were using, how, dig they had, how deep they had to go for the water, what the ground was like, whether it was right. You can't answer that question. It's a stupid question. But I thought, well, I'm going to Google it anyway. So I Googled how long did it take to dig a well in Bible times? Literally what I Googled. And the first thing that comes up, 90 days. This is God being funny because if you click on it, it's an article about how long it took 15 guys to dig a well in the wild west beside a railway track. It has absolutely nothing to do with Bible times, but for some reason, every time you can do it right now, if you Google how long did it take to dig a well in Bible times, 90 days comes up. And that's just God having a little wee chuckle with us, I think. So, if you, anyone's got any questions around any of this, then please come and talk to me afterwards. But one of the things that I wanted to do is give us something to kind of remember during the week what we're about. And so I have uh, had these glasses made up with humility, prayer, intimacy, and obedience on them. And then 2 Chronicles 7.14 down the bottom. And the idea is that you... Drink out of these, obviously. Water, which comes out of a well. Follow me. It's, it's tenuous, but the link's there. <laughs> right? They were like, don't you just want a keychain? Well, I don't want a stinking keychain. It has to represent something. All right? The only thing I would say is I found out afterwards, it is not dishwasher safe. So it's, you know, 
I reckon it will only be a matter of time before I forget, put it in the dishwasher and rub it off. So I'm going to just use it as like a paperweight. Put some nice pretty stones in it, stick it on my mantelpiece, you know. I'll get the band to jump up, that'll be awesome. So I've got one of those for every adult. If you've got kids, please don't take some for your kids. We don't have enough for that, but they're down the back. So Steve's going to be down the back. Just on your way out, grab a glass. We're also going to fire up the barbecue as well after the service. So it'll be a chance for you to stick around and have a sausage and just mull things over. But I, I genuinely believe that this is a word from God for us this year. Um, I'm 100% convinced that this is where he's calling us to go. And I don't know entirely what the details are of what this looks like. Like you say, well, what do you, you know, a whole term on prayer. How do you preach 12 Sundays on prayer? I don't know exactly what that will look like. I've got to start next week talking about humility. Don't know where that's going to start either. Then Dan's preaching. Don't have a clue what he's saying either. But God will put those pieces together because this is the framework that he's called us to to follow this year. Is that cool? Awesome. Hey, why don't you stand to your feet? Thank you for listening so long. I know it was a lot longer than normal. We're going to finish with a song this morning.